What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose podcast right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm the good-looking one. Bauer is the smart one. Make sure you subscribe to our podcasts wherever you get them. Uh, give us a five-star rating. What, what else is on the cue card there, Bauer? Um, I think you're supposed to praise my incredible insight and uh, ability to come up with things that you would never think of. Well, that's – first of all, that – that might be the reason you're on the second string because it really doesn't it doesn't take much to top me. Obviously, uh, two quick things. Number one, you've obviously been very very closely following the in season NBA tournament, and you no doubt will know that the championship of the in season NBA tournament Saturday night features features the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Indiana Pacers. I, I had no idea. I don't even know what the in-season tournament is. Where do they come up with these things? I, I, it's uh, probably some PR man somewhere figured out a way to make some more money or whatever. I've never been into the professional basketball stuff. I mean, I... I well, you're a University of Kentucky fan. Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, you're a professional basketball fan because those guys yeah, are yeah, all very highly that, paid no. athletes. I was just saying that. Um, well, the second it, issue, we'll, we'll get off the sports. Second issue, the Republican debate, the undercard debate, I guess it was on Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Uh-huh. I, I, I didn't see it, but that doesn't stop me from having very strong opinions about it. You had those opinions before the debate. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you think of it? Um, Did you actually watch it? I couldn't find it. I mean, I, what channel was it on? Yeah, it's funny because Carol and I couldn't find it, but uh, uh, my my staff was was able to find it uh, and and listen to it. Look, there were a couple of things. Um, I, I think Vivek is uh, he, I, in his own way he is a gift because he makes it very hard for the contenders to get away with the typical BS that passes these days. Uh, for uh, being legitimate American politics. And he just he just zeroes in on the hypocrisy and all the rest of it. But I'll tell you something um, I, I also found significant, Tom, is that uh, DeSantis be, made his opening statement and he went after Nikki Haley for um, opposing a a, a law in South Carolina that in public restrooms of any kind, schools, parks or whatever, would require all individuals to use the restroom that corresponded with their biological birth, gender, sex. And she denied that. She did, and, and he goes, it's on videotape. And it is on videotape. 
I, I've seen it. She was interviewed on one of the Sunday talk shows, and her response was, I don't think the law should have anything to do with that. And to me, that was when it happened, and, and with DeSantis pointing it out, it was uh, the evidence that she is an establishment Republican. And then later, he went uh, back and forth with Chris Christie, because Chris Christie, in another attempt uh, to to uh, take us all for idiots, said he would oppose any legal restrictions on children mutilating their bodies in the name of transgender ideology, uh, because he said, I believe in parental rights. And if the parents want to do that, then... Uh, they should be able to do that. And uh, there was a moan in the crowd, some boos. And DeSantis at some point said in response, uh, even under the rubric of parental rights, parents are not allowed to abuse children. The uh, The irony of it is is so incredible. Parents, were, it's, it's typical of what the left does and what these establishment Republicans who are in thrall to the left insist on doing. And that is conflating whatever it is they believe on any particular issue and wrapping it up in a, in, a, in a perceived constitutional right that they deny in every other circumstance. If you or I, as conservative parents or grandparents, let a seven or eight-year-old play in a park by themselves right near their homes in a safe neighborhood, you can be arrested and sent to uh, you know, a correctional institution or have your kids taken away from you. If you don't, in the state of California, for instance, if you don't agree to adhere to their ever-changing gender status. So it's all, it's all a fraud. It's all a sham. It's all a hoax. What they support, they will find a way to justify. And what they oppose, it's basically to hell with you. They don't care. Yeah, Tom, you and I have talked about this a couple of times. It's worth uh, mentioning it, it again. I, used, uh, I still get uh, emails from, from people, really well-meaning people, uh, good people uh, who are still laboring under uh, the impression that uh, w- when we lose, it's because our arguments aren't good enough. And they'll suggest new arguments that we can make uh, to make it impossible for the left to disagree with us. I remember before Roe was overturned, people would email me and say, Gary, I've thought this through. I have got the legal brief that will the, the court will have no choice. They will have to overturn Roe versus Wade. And I would always write back and say, you know, I, I really like the idea you presented there. It will have no impact on what the court does. The only way Roe is going to be overturned is if there are new justices put on the court, which the Trump-Pence administration did. And that's what led to the overturning of Roe. You're, you're absolutely right. The Washington Post had a story two days ago on the front page, Tom, the front page, right in the middle of the page. And the, the, the various headlines were the problem with homeschooling. And then the second headline was something like um, silent parental abuse. So in other words, because the child's being educated at home, Parents can be abusing the child and it's not going to be caught the way it would be in a public school. Now, I mean, look, we could do five shows on the things that are happening to our children in public schools. But 
I w- this came to mind when you said this this paradox or this irony. So the the left will argue that a parent shouldn't have a right to homeschool their child and in the very next breath say the parent has a right to take their 11-year-old to go have her breast cut off because and, she was assigned the wrong birth. And now you birth. and now you have what happened in California this week the legislature passed and uh, the governor, the future uh, Democratic presidential candidate, Gavin Newsom, signed into law a bill requiring K-12 education to include understanding misinformation online. So they understand that conservatives are starting to push back using the resources of technology, using the Internet, using social media to try to break through this totalitarian left-wing wall that imposes itself upon our children. And the law now requires, and I don't remember the specifics as to how many hours or in what particular grades, a forceful education designed to, quote-unquote, teach these kids how to bypass or uh, uh, reject conservative media. So... It never ends. It never stops. The moment we push back, they dig deeper. I don't know whether you had, you, you didn't because you're not a masochist like me, read this, this absolutely appalling uh, series of articles in The Atlantic published by the uh, uh, jockstrap sniffer Jeffrey Goldberg. <laughs> uh, sometimes people get our voices confused that was tom there i i've got a rule i will never bring up jock straps <laughs> on the air but that rule does not uh cause any hesitancy i i've not read it tom, it's the I, most well first of all the atlantic use i actually used to subscribe to it and read it um it's it's the doom mongering is unbelievable the the entire issue uh, of this edition of the atlantic uh, is subtitled sleepwalking into dictatorship so, I mean, that was Liz Cheney's line. Of course, she's got a piece in there. All these left-wingers are talking about why, uh, you know, Trump is Hitler and Trump is worse than Hitler. This is what the great threat is. The scaremongering sets the House on fire in order to save the House, so they claim. But the more each side draws closer to the Rubicon on this, the more each party says the next election will be the last. And the more times each party says the next election is going to be the last, the greater the likely. Exactly. When our establishment, when the establishment, even on that debate stage Wednesday night or Wednesday night in uh, uh, Alabama, portrays all conservatives. And Chris Christie had no business being up there. He's nothing but an anti The only reason he's in the race is to smear and trash Trump. There's no other purpose. But... When when the left and the likes of, of Chris Christie portray all conservatives as, you know, dehumanized Christian nationalist, white supremacist, proto-fascists, it becomes harder and harder for those being libeled and slandered and defamed to sit silently. Once both sides agree that the next election uh, is the last or that it threatens to be the last, the greater the threat that becomes a reality. That's the real threat, not the, you know, jockstrap sniffing uh, Jeffrey Goldberg. As the Trump reelection becomes more possible, the hyperbole and the hysteria is is uh, reaching levels that are just at the same time they call Trump Hitler. 
These leftists are working to pull down the very guardrails in our system that prevent anyone from ever pushing it too far, that prevent a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao to come to power. Every institution that stands to check Trump or Biden or anybody else, depriving them of the ability to consolidate dictatorial powers, are being attacked by the same people. These are the same people pushing, packing the court, Gary, uh, packing the Senate, ditching the Electoral College, ending the filibuster, nationalizing elections, all of which weaken the very institutions they say are so essential to protect us from another Trump presidency. Uh, it's, it, it, it's a radical, radical agenda they're pushing. They seek now to unite uh, the country that isn't uh, Christian white nationalist, proto-fascist uh, uh, supremacists, Um, And you saw that with James Carville arguing that the greatest threat to our country, the former Clinton uh, political consigliere, uh, and normally the guy that warns Democrats about their own extremism, says that Christian nationalists, whoever that who are, first of all, I would love to who is who are these Christian nationalists, but that Christian nationalists, i.e. Mike Johnson, a speaker of the House who who's, God forbid, faithful to his wife and seeks to encourage his children to remain chaste until they get married. I mean, this is, this is worse than Hitler, Gary. Mike Johnson is a greater threat than Osama bin Laden because he is a believing fundamentalist Christian who actually thinks that the Bible is a text to guide one's life and to inspire one's value system. Well, let me, let me tell you, as a as a an American Jew, as an American Christian, I will educate you here, Tom. <laughs> uh, a Christian nationalist is, if you listen to the rhetoric of the left, a Christian nationalist is is an individual that, in the eyes of the left, loves the Bible and America more than they should, according to the left. And they love the Bible in America so much that the left sees them as a threat to the America they want to build. So the left wants to transform America. If you're somebody that says America was wonderful from its very founding and and teaches its children that, you're an impediment to the trans. Why would you want to transform something you love? Right. We've talked about this before. You don't uh, you know, you don't say to your wife when you're dating her, you know, honey, I you know, I love you. I want to get married. But just, you know, I want to be honest about this. When we get I can't wait to transform you. Well, wait a minute. I thought you loved me. Well, there are a couple of things here that I need to improve, you know. So um, and, you know, that they will go to the mat to defend Muslims that will take the Koran literally, and believe they're called to kill the infidel. They'll, they will even call the Koran, these leftists will, the Holy Koran. Well, like the presidents of Harvard, Penn, and MIT before Congress on Tuesday, when the presidents of our greatest educational institutions, formerly great educational institutions, could not mouth the statement that calling for genocide is protected free speech misgendering someone is not protected free speech on those campuses, but calling for the genocide of Jews is protected free speech. This was this Harvard president, Gloria Gay, or what's her name? Maybe it's not Gloria, but it's Dr. Gay. 
I felt like I might, I did feel I was, maybe I was in somebody's video game or whatever. I mean, what are the odds that the president of Harvard would be, her last name would be gay? Uh, and, and, <laughs> and, and she did, her inability to articulate a sentence uh, disreputed any gay person. I mean, this was someone, I think it was Elise Stefanik. I don't mean to smear her if that's yeah. the case, but yeah. she said uh, subsequently that this is a classic example of a DEI hire gone way. I mean, this woman was unable to articulate a sentence. This is the president of Harvard University who couldn't call demands for genocide unprotected speech. It was, I mean, and and this is the point, I think, on this. To the left, um, all speech is permitted. If you're a leftist, all speech is permitted. And calling for the genocide of the Jews is part of the left now. So naturally, it's protected speech. There's no such thing as free speech on any of these campuses. There is only free speech for the left and leftist agenda. And if that includes a partnership with uh, genocidal maniacs like Hamas or supporters of Hamas calling for the genocide of the Jews, then that's protected speech on our holy, sacred uh, left-wing seminaries like Harvard and Penn and MIT and my uh, my alma mater, unfortunately, Columbia. Uh, you know, Tom, the uh, I think it was the president of of um, uh, University of Pennsylvania. Um, she said when asked this question, and they all said some v- variety of this. Well, it would depend on the context that that was said in. And so Stefanik, Congresswoman Stefanik says, well, give me an example. Does, in other words, uh, we'll explain it. What would, what would be a context that would cause trouble? And, and, and the woman said, well, if they acted on, so Stefanik said, so in other words, calling for genocide is not a violation of your rules. But if the student calling for genocide actually kills the Jewish student, then the rules would be violated. Is that what you're saying? Now, Tom, Tom, this is really interesting. I was going to say, I was going to give you a pop quiz, but we've already gone past the moment I could do that. I was going to ask you. Claudine Gay, says our our producer extraordinaire, Dory Black. So it's Claudine Gay, not, what did I call her, Gloria? I don't know, whatever. Oh, okay. Um, so I was going to ask you, tell me five words that are worth $20 million a word. And the answer to the question is, it depends on, on the, the context. context. Those five words by the president of the University of Pennsylvania cost her school a $100 million gift that was on its way and was canceled after the donor saw that sorry performance. You know, it's funny, the expression of these uh, genocidal annihilationists who are either radical Muslims or radical leftists, they make peace with each other in this sense. Their slogan is from the river to the sea. So now that the IDF is um, uh, contemplating what, of course, Biden will insist they not do, pumping water uh, into these hundreds of miles of tunnels that are used to perpetrate terror attacks um, to make their tunnels underground rivers. Uh, you know, that's uh, kind of the meme that's that's floating around in Israel these days. But uh, we are in the middle of uh, Hanukkah, by the way. Happy Hanukkah to you. Yes. Or, or as, uh, 
as as Adam Sandler and other uh, comedians would say, happy Hanukkah. Anyway, <laughs> here's what we're facing. And this is I wanted to hit you with this. Um, last week, a an IDF battalion set up this 15 foot menorah. It was absolutely fabulous uh, in Gaza City. Now, um, Jews all over the world, they light menorahs, these candelabras commemorating the eight day uh, rebellion, which resulted in the rededication of, of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, we have one right in the lobby of my office sure do. here, and we you have sh- one in the lobby of our office building. There, you you pass the test. Um, so Jews in Israel are now lighting menorahs in Gaza, but we have uh, a case after case in this country of uh, uh, security officials, law enforcement officials, advising Jews to uh, not light their menorahs in public. The, the, the commandment, actually, for lighting of the menorah is to put it in a window facing the street or so that people see it. The purpose of the, of, the, of the menorah is not necessarily to light the house, like a Sabbath candle, for instance. It's to uh, publicize or disseminate the light of the miracle. So now you have um, law enforcement officials and even some Jewish community leaders advising Jews in America, and particularly in Europe, don't light a menorah in front of uh, your window on a street because you could face an attack. Um, public menorah lightings in America and Europe are being canceled. No, They're being no canceled, question. Gary, to avoid triggering yep. the rage of these Islamists and leftists. Well, the governor Newsom canceled the Christmas tree lighting in California because the Jew haters, uh, as we all know, many of them also hate Christians. They hate the people of the book, uh, the Bible, the Torah and the, and the New Testament. Uh, and he showed how cowardly he is. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that Biden didn't cancel the Christmas tree lighting uh, here on the National Mall. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's almost, you know, the administration cannot uh, use the word or term anti-Semitism without marrying it to Islamophobia. Oh, it's so, so, so And that's what this is doing vis-a-vis menorah and, and you know, in the Christmas tree. They can't yeah. simply say that... Uh, Jews have to be careful because of anti-Semitism. They have to merge it with now this war on Christmas. You know, 2,000 years ago, the Maccabees, uh, the five sons of Judah Maccabee, entered this this ruined temple and found nothing clean or pure in it. Um, uh, But in the light of that darkness, they found a way to feel the presence of a loving God. Now, what we see in Gaza, what we see among these leftists is this, this cult of death that uh, threatens the entire Muslim world and, frankly, all of Judeo-Christian civilization. Um, it's just mind-boggling and ironic that they're lighting menorahs in Gaza, Israelis are, and the Jews of Cleveland or Cincinnati or... Uh, Lexington, Kentucky, are terrified to light a menorah in their own in their own living room windows. It's what kind of a world are we living in? Yeah, uh, well, a, a, a world that is in uh, a country that's lost its moral uh, core, its ability to make uh, moral decisions, because we have so many cowards among us. I was at an event last night that Tucker Carlson spoke at, and um, he said uh, at one point. 
um, and I'm, these are not direct quotes. So if I say something really controversial, uh, folks, uh, I probably am misquoting him because I don't think he said it in a controversial way, but he, he said, Hey, I, I hope everybody in the audience realizes that, um, it's November of, of, well, it's now December of 2023. And in December of 2024, America is going to be a dramatically different place. Now, I'm not saying he said it's going to be dramatically worse in December of 2024, although it may. He said, I'm not saying it's going to be dramatically better in 2024 or, you know, please God, may it be so. But he said, the one thing I think we can say with certainty is it is going to be dramatically different. So how should you think about that? How should you approach it? And he goes, here's my advice. Be strong. Now I don't mean run to the gym. I'm not talking about try to lift more weights. I'm saying you need to be morally strong. And here's how you can do that. Tell the truth. All through the next year, on every occasion, you must tell the truth. No matter if it gets you in trouble, no matter if you're penalized, no matter if it causes somebody to threaten you, because every time you lie over the next year and in any time, you will become weaker with every lie you tell. So it is imperative that people like the people in this room must be committed to the truth. And he just kept going through, you know, it means love God more, go to worship more, love your family more, realize what the things are that matter, realize that the things that matter the most cannot be taken away from you by anybody. Because they're inside you. They're not things you're holding in your hand. Um, And he said, it means that if somebody that you work for or whatever says, you must use the right pronouns. You must not say, oh, okay, sir, I'll do that. Because now you're telling a lie to please them. And if we all start lying, it's over. The country's done. And, uh, you know, the room was a it was a raucous crowd. There were a lot of uh, happy young people. There was a little bit of drinking going on, uh, but it got very quiet during that period of time. And, you know, and I was listening on com- to conversations in the room later in the evening. Everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. That's the moment we're in. Tom, what Jewish leaders should be telling their synagogues and their Jewish communities is we want Every Jew, whether you usually display a memorial or not, to do it this year of all years. Because if you do that, the odds that your house is going to be attacked will actually go down. In fact, the really great thing would be if Christians would join you in displaying it along with our Christmas trees and our nativity scenes. No, it's our philosophy. I speak as an American Jew. Our philosophy is shelter in place. And that only encourages, that only abets, that only whets the appetite of our enemies. In Israel, there was a tendency toward that slightly, but now that's completely gone. I had the uh, tremendous 
schut, as they say, honor, privilege, on Tuesday to uh, meet with several Israeli hostage families in Washington, together with our um, our former vice president and friend Mike Pence. Uh, not not former friend. He's our current. <laughs> good heavens, he is our current friend, Mike Pence, who was vice president. This was, you know, I was in Israel for six weeks uh, at the start of the war. I'm back here now for a few weeks. And even though I was there, this was the most meaningful, moving experience I've had since the war began. These, there were seven families, Gary. They were families of um, two young women, uh, two soldiers, a family that still is in captivity, including two tiny children, a nine-month-old and a four-year-old, uh, that came from the kibbutzim, the communities in the south that were attacked. These are uh, uh, liberal communities. These are, I won't call them leftists, because there's no such thing really as an Israeli leftist, not like here, where they right. hate the country. I mean, they're, they're dovish on peace issues. Um, and for a lot more social spending and stuff like that, but they're not. <clears throat> their symbol is the Israeli flag. It isn't the Antifa flag. It isn't the Hamas flag like these lunatics here. But yeah. the message was, I was stunned by this. First of all, I don't know where they get the strength to do this, um, particularly as uh, the mother of a 16-year-old boy and the father of a 16-year-old boy. I don't know how they do this. It's been 63 days. They have, they have no word. They don't know whether... I, I, would, be, I, would, I would not be functioning. They don't, I, know whether, I would not, yeah. they don't know whether he's alive, whether he's dead, whether he's being tortured. Uh, the stories that are coming out are so horrendous, so horrific as to defy description. The, uh, the Israeli government is um, uh, selectively screening out of respect for the dignity of, of these victims, a 47-minute video of images that were taken by the terrorists themselves on their GoPro cameras, the mutilations, the, the torture, the pandemonium. The, the, I, I couldn't... Uh, we had a screening, and, and I, I'd seen it once before, but I can't get past about 15 minutes of it. It is the most... You can't, your mind can't conjure the depravity. I'll just share one image from it of a terrorist bursting into a home, a father, um, the mother was a nurse at a hospital, working that night, a night shift, whatever, at the hospital, at a hospital, uh, bursts into the house, rips the father out of bed, two small boys, children, screaming, a uh, terrorist shoves a gun in one of the boy's heads, tells him to shut up. If he keeps crying, he'll murder him. He then blows the father's head off. The children are screaming hysterically. Kills one of the children. Puts the, I can't even describe this. Puts the gun to the head of the other and says, if you don't stop, I'll kill you. Then he goes to the refrigerator, grabs a Coke, sits down and starts looking at his cell phone. I, 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 I this, yeah, this is, I mean, Tom, it's, it's satanic. I mean, this dopey people that, you know, they don't believe in God. Well, if you don't believe in God, you're not going to believe in Satan. 
or there are people, some people that believe in God and, and don't believe in Satan. That's insane too. I mean, everything in existence has its opposite. Uh, there's no way to describe this would things. have embarrassed Satan. Him, I mean, this is just, I can't even imagine Satan would count. I mean, and the, the bodily mutilations, there's an image of these, I don't want to get too graphic, an image of two spines that are fused, fused together. Yeah. Yeah. Of a mother uh, and a small they, they child. Were, they and, were embracing each other as they were set on fire. And so their spines, um, were were melted together. Uh, I mean, Tom, this, this sadly, um, they're, they're you, you you know you know your own history. Um, the you know the the siege of uh, Jerusalem in the Roman era. You know, I, I it, there's a book, the history of Jerusalem, and there's a whole chapter that describes what happened to the Jews that. Uh, you know, held out in the in the in the city as long as they could, and then in the in the synagogue complex under siege, it's it it's demonic. Um, you, so you know, modern man, oh demons, hey, what are you? Some kind of medieval? Uh, you, you know, this is this is the um, the the teacher, the rabbi that comes back to Ili Wiesel's village and tells him he saw, uh, tells the village he saw German soldiers throwing infants in the air and using them as target practice as they fell to the ground. And the reaction of the village was, you, Rabbi, are insane. You've lost your mind. Quit uh, frightening our children and our wives get out of the village there's something wrong with you this is the continent of bach and beethoven and the great art of the world are you telling us that's impossible this is always free men and women who have a even an inkling of decency cannot truly imagine the nature of evil. And it is always there. It is always simmering beneath the surface of civilization, only waiting for cowards to emerge as the leaders of that civilization. And when that happens, that evil comes springing out of the depths of hell and does things that our minds cannot comprehend. You know, there are times rare times, but unforgettable times when you know you're living through history. And I think, I feel that way right now. Hanukkah, which uh, Jews, the Jewish world is celebrating this week, is the, it commemorates the first event in recorded history of a political rebellion against authoritarian rule for freedom. Um, Jews have fought for freedom to live as Jews ever since the beginning. And the story of Hanukkah has begun, I think, um, uh, to remind us, if we're able to be reminded, that freedom is won every bit as much in the classroom, 
in the Sunday school, in the church sermon, uh, in the bar mitzvah lesson, as it is on the battlefield. Because if your people aren't prepared to understand what they have if they have freedom, what they stand to lose if they lose their freedom, it doesn't matter the technology, it doesn't matter the, the fancy uh, precision-guided weapons. If you, if you don't know what you're fighting for or what is at stake if you lose, you're not going to win. And uh, there's a, there's a, the, 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 this was the lesson of Hellenism in ancient times. The Jews were so attracted to Greek culture and Greek art and, and you know, living a Hellenistic, hedonistic life that over the course of 150 years, they lost their connection. And it wasn't until the miraculous emergence of, of this kind of weird family, the Maccabees, with these five courageous, almost loony sons, that folks were able to remember what it was all about. Um, and it was then that group of Jews that rose in rebellion, led by this priest, you know, Matis Yahu uh, Maccabee of the town of Moda'in, which our State Department just reminded us is an illegal settlement in occupied Arab uh, land. So, um, th- th- there is, th- there's just so much here, uh, that, uh, we seek to, uh, we, we, that we simply don't have a problem, um, that we do have a problem, a very serious problem, understanding, incorporating into our mindset, all these threats. I mean, we heard this all week long, the, the hyperbolic hysteria, Trump now, the campaign isn't to run against Trump's policies. The campaign is to run against Trump as Hitler. As though, I mean, remember all the policies that we tried to implement that were thwarted by our own people? I mean, the ban on transgenders in the military. Uh, Trump wanted to reopen uh, uh, COVID much, much earlier. And then there was Fauci uh, with this implicit, not so subtle threat um, that you better elect somebody other than Trump or we'll keep you locked up much longer. Remember, it was, I mean, it just... The problem wasn't that Trump was a dictator. It was that he had no real power over his own government. The very opposite dictatorship. The guy couldn't have a single conversation, private conversation with a foreign leader that wasn't leaked by somebody on his very own staff. Congress. Well, Tom, the, go ahead. Yeah, they, look, the, the, the dictators, the want to be dictators are the people leveling this charge against Trump. I mean, the, the, the left monitored used laws that were meant to protect us from our enemies, and they they turned those laws and those powers against their political opponents. They monitored his campaign. They monitored his phone calls, and they leaked the, the details out. They regularly worked with big tech uh, oligarchs uh, to censor the opinions of the American people and to subject the American people to propaganda that we would use against foreign populations in countries whose governments we wanted to undermine, we used against our own people. They are uh, the, the president, uh, uh, Biden, just released a week or so ago the longest executive order in the history of the country, which when you read it is uh, it's an executive order on artificial intelligence, AI, and it is uh, a plan 
to integrate AI throughout the government under the direction of the political left in America and the social media oligarchs. So that all chance of a free nation, of free debate will be eliminated. And nobody raises any, any, and when he does it, he brags that among those that he consulted with to write this executive order was the intelligence agencies of Great Britain. What? This is insanity, right? So what, so this is what the left does this all the time. They accuse us of what they are doing. Donald Trump is the impediment to their dictatorial plans that they fear the most. That's exactly. That's very, very well said. That's four shows in a row where Bauer has actually said something meaningful. That's Donald Trump is the impediment to their authoritarianism. There was a piece in the New York Times. I think it was Monday. Big piece. I don't know. Probably 70 column inches. It the jump page was entirely filled about the threat of a Donald Trump presidency. And they listed them all, you know, abortion rights, which is policy oriented, fine, whatever. But the one that they, I don't know whether you saw this. I literally laughed yeah. out loud. The one uh, great threat of a Donald Trump presidency. And, and they wrote this not tongue in cheek. They were quite literally committed to this proposition, had all kinds of quotes and all kinds of um, uh, affirmative uh, reactions from people who agreed with it. The great threat was that this time Donald Trump might actually have people in his administration know what com- they're doing and committed it. to yes. implementing his agenda. That's the great threat, because, of course, last time Congress checked him, they passed not Donald Trump's budgets. They didn't pass. They passed Paul Ryan's budgets. The court yeah. stopped at his immigration policies. Uh, and and the worst Look, thing, Tom, the. Let me throw one more thing in there. The uh, and I'll irritate a lot of my economic conservative friends. Uh, Trump and uh, with the advice of Steve Bannon wanted to issue, uh, propose an actual populist tax cut that would have centered in on working class and middle class people and meaningfully lowered their taxes and maybe even include in it. An increase on a tax on millionaires, billionaires, right? billionaires, all billionaires. of whom, uh, all of whom except maybe three, um, are staunch Democrats, um, right? And uh, some really good economic conservatives got in there and convinced Trump that would be a disaster. And the tax cut, Tom, that we ended up with, quite frankly, I, 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 I don't think it got us anything. It right? helped. I mean, it I, helped it, the stock market for nine months. Yeah, um, right. The, the returns were. De minimis. It extended a bunch of the Bush tax cuts, which were good. The most yeah. serious problem we had before you so brilliantly interrupted me. The most serious problem that we had was not an insurrection of Trump supporters. We had a four year insurrection of the executive branch. It was an executive insurrection against a, an elected president. Uh, so, but I, I, I watched a bunch of the, as I indicated at the outset, somewhat tongue in cheek. Well, I didn't watch the full, I guess, what was a two hour debate? I watched a bunch of the highlights. I got to tell you, if it wasn't for President Trump, if it wasn't for Donald Trump, 
uh, I'd be all in on DeSantis. I think I don't understand why people assume he hasn't. I thought he's just so head and shoulders above the other three there. Um, Vivek is the most fun. He's the most concise. Uh, but DeSantis has this combination of a true commitment to Trumpian principles and an effective uh, a, a level of, of executive accomplishment. I mean, he's actually, that's why he kept pushing back against Nikki, who I think kind of reveals herself more and more to be an empty suit or an empty dress or whatever the analogy would be uh, for somebody who thinks that her gender is a qualification uh, to be president. He just exposed her, uh, Vivek did actually very hilariously oh, on, the, gosh. on the- She looked a little- Oh, yeah. She looked really stricken- so why are the why are the anti-Trump people? Maybe I've answered my own question. The anti-Trump Republicans now switching from DeSantis to her. Well, they don't think DeSantis can stop Trump, and she can. Well, they they think she can because she's the movement in the polls shows DeSantis dropping and her going up. But they're both they, marginal, right? I mean, he started at. 17 and now is 13. She started at six and now is at nine. I mean, these are Trump is 40 points ahead of both of them. Well, yeah, but but uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I look, I think Trump's going to get the nomination, but there's still people that believe and it's not completely unreasonable that um, the only polls that matter are like Iowa, for example, and that in Iowa, she's got a chance to pull a surprise because the Koch brother network uh, went all in on her and it's got that it supposedly has a grassroots network in Iowa. Uh, the the uh, one of the one of the big uh, uh, pro family leaders in Iowa. Uh, I thought Vanderplatz, but he's yeah, DeSantis, he, but he isn't endorsed he? DeSantis, right? Right. Yeah. So but if there's going to be a surprise uh, where where Trump performs less well than anticipated it could end up being iowa and he of course, lost that iowa happens, in 2016 <laughs> and he won the presidency yeah but if it but you know if it happens now um then the media will go wild you know uh, uh whoever does better than expected in iowa will immediately move up in new hampshire uh, but so, in other words, two weeks later, it won't make any difference, right? I mean, we can go down the list of Iowa caucus winners from President Bauer to President Huckabee to President Santorum to President Cruz. Um, and then – Well, I, I did not win, but thank you for putting me in that, uh, uh, that, that uh, really good company. Um, yeah, so I, look, look, back to DeSantis – DeSantis has a record of accomplishment because he had a legislature that was overwhelmingly. But he pushed it. He pushed it. I mean, I think you can I think you can be pro Trump and pro DeSantis at the same time. No, I I like DeSantis. But but the other thing I wanted to say about him is and this is subjective and it's hard to put it in words. But for some reason, it appears that the more people see him on the campaign trail, the less they're attracted to him. That now it's a, there's this imponderable about mm-hmm. why, why do so many people, you know, when Trump walks into a room, why do so many people go, Oh my gosh. You know, oh, that is the guy. Right. And, and other people go, Oh, you know, I wouldn't trust him with my children, you know? Um, 
but this the Santas just doesn't seem whether it's charisma, whatever you want to call it, he he doesn't appear to have it. Um, I think it's a and, shame. I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame because first of all, he's a very young man and has a. I mean, I definitely would love to see him as a two-term president at some point in the not too distant future. Um, <clears throat> he's the most accomplished governor in the country. He's the most conservative governor in the country. He's very artistic. So he's not Bing Crosby. We get that. He's not, you know, he doesn't have a song and dance routine. Uh, I just think it's a shame that we've conflated that office with um, this popularity contest mentality that inflates the presidency even more than it should. We should be a constitutional federal republic with a small federal government where the president just runs the executive branch and the country manages itself. But we've now reached a point where, you know, federal government well, constitutes almost 30% of our economy. And well, it's ridiculous. And it, and, the, and as that continues to grow, we're, we're doomed. You know, I mean, that's, that's gotta be broken up. We're, we're going to be auctioning on, uh, uh, well, we auction by time people see us. We auction on Friday of this week. We'll auction treasury bills and bonds totaling eighty-seven billion dollars in one day to try to get people, the American people and others, to buy our debt again. I mean, we are in. We're up the proverbial creek with with uh, no paddle and no boat. Right. Uh, but I want to m- mention one, one more thing on this, Tom. So Trump brings s- millions of blue-collar workers out to vote. He, he costs us votes among suburban women. So it's not clear, you know. You don't think DeSantis would have the same pull with the blue-collars? No, DeSantis um, – doesn't appear to do any better among suburban women. Uh, and there's no evidence that he brings blue right, collar. Right, right. Well, look, there's no question. Trump is a sui generic. He's his own. Uh, there's no, there's nobody but Trump to compete I, with I Trump. I saw a, a video of Trump the other day. Uh, I, I he think was very good on Hannity the other night. I, I thought oh, he, was oh, he was, strong. he was great, but this very video strong. was like, th- this video was like 25 years ago. And he was being interviewed. I forget now who was interviewing him. And they and they said to him, so um, do, do you consider yourself a Rockefeller Republican? And he goes, well, I, I mean, I live in New York and the Republican Party in New York, you know, is oriented toward Rockefeller. So I, I don't know, I, I guess in that sense, you know, I'm in a Rockefeller state. Uh so, but you're, so you're an establishment Republican. Oh, no, no. Uh, look, the rich people don't like me. I mean, that's just 25 years. Rich people don't like me. The people that like me are the cab drivers, the guy that opens the door so at true. the hotels. So true. He's talking about this all the way back then. He goes, I know it's really ironic. I'm a blue collar billionaire. Uh, this here's an anecdote, and I'm sure you've heard similar versions of it. I'm sure your son uh, Zach has shared it with you many times. Um, when <clears throat> when the president moves, physical movement from one room to the next, uh, when he's away from the White House, 
you know, they hold the elevators and there's an elevator operator and there are guys that open the door for him. During all of these movements, he talks to these people. That's who he's interested in talking to. The elevator yep. operator, the guy that opens the car door, the guy that walks him through the, uh, through the hotel uh, uh, kitchen facilities. He's not talking to the muckety-mucks that are surrounding him, and that's his genuine interest. And it's, it's, it's not these other politicians. I mean, they, they can fake it, but this is genuine. He's talking about sports. He's talking about baseball pitchers. He's talking about their kids. Uh, this is where he really is, the, the, the blue-collar billionaire lunch, lunch bucket Joe, lunch bucket Donald. Did, what's his golf course in New Jersey? Bedmin- yeah, Bedminster? Yeah, Bedminster. Yeah. So I was there uh, Show off. Se- several months ago. Show off. And, and, uh, say it again. Why don't I- you say it again? I was I was there uh, at, at the golf course in, in New Jersey, and during the time when uh, I had a chance to walk around, I, I uh, got to talk. I, I made a point of talking to groundskeepers, mm-hmm. caddies, uh, guys that uh, kept the uh, the the gym room clean for the you know the players would come in after they played eighteen holes and they'd get showers so there were the guys that cleaned all that up and and I'd say so you how long you worked here sometimes it was well only for the last three months or I've been I've been working here for eight years or whatever so uh, you know what between you and me what what do you, you you see Trump much oh yeah yeah I see him what what, what do you think of him you know oh my gosh. What an incredible man. I love him. I love him. Always treats me with respect. Always. I wouldn't want to vote. I wouldn't want to work for Always. anybody. Other and than it just, him. just look at his, first of all, he's built a multi-billion dollar business. We got We're way over time here. I'm getting um, shouted at in the, in my ear. But if you look at the tenure of the people that work for him, they've all been there for 25 years, 30. Nobody leaves. Nobody leaves because he's, Look, he's tough. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny that he demands performance. And when Excellent. you don't perform, uh, I can tell you this uh, with firsthand personal experience. <laughs> when you don't perform, he, you he hear told about me a it. Couple of stories, Tom. You hear about it. This is. I was. Uh, well, I, I don't want to get into it, but he was right. He ended up being right when he took me to task. This was over Canadian tariffs and stuff, but. Um, and that was rather embarrassing, but he ended up being absolutely right. We're way over time, uh, but this was a pleasure, a delight, an honor, and a privilege, and all of the above. As it is always. For Gary. So thank, Happy Hanukkah. So thank me very much. That's a, that's a Mark Levin line. Thank me very much. I could use another Mark Levin line to, to, to close off here. Shut up, you big dope. Get off the <laughs> phone, you big jerk. <laughs> anyway... Have a uh, have a, a beautiful weekend, a, a lovely Sabbath, and we will talk to you next week. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcast, so you never miss an episode of the Bauer and Rose Show. And America, stay strong. Amen. <laughs>